Hello, baby. That's the 50th episode song. Jubilee Street. Jubilee Street. 50 episodes. We got Lil Yachty on the ad libs. 50 episodes. That's right. You heard it. This is episode 50 of Jubilee Street and Nick Cave podcast. I am your co-host, Jake Curtis, with your other co-host. Ian McCurtis. 50 times you heard that. And 50 times, if you've been listening since day one, you've heard us do our variations of the intro for this podcast that's all about all things Nick Cave. Uh, Ian, do you want to intro the guests as to what we're talking about for this fantastic episode to all our friends of the pod? Do something special today. This is kind of a two-week celebration. Last week we did uh, Einstein and look. I I learned how to say. No, yeah, I learned him. how to say the name for that one day, and then I forgot. So this week we are doing another very special episode. Uh, in the Nick Cave canon, although it's not a Nick Cave song per se, we are doing The Boys Next Door, Roland Howard, Young Charlton's, whatever you want to say, the song Shivers. This song's in shivers up my spine. So, Ian, I don't know if we ever discussed it, but uh, why do you think? Why do? Why? Why are we talking about Nick Cave adjacent stuff for our fiftieth episode? Why not do one of the big songs like Red Right Hand or, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe one of the songs from Let Love In? You know. Uh, uh, maybe a couple from Boatman's Call. I don't know. What? Do you, why? Why? Why choose this? I mean, that's a good question. I think because we talk about a Nick Cave song every week. I feel like this is like an important song if you're a big Nick Cave's fan, but it's not necessarily a Nick Cave song. So, yeah, we just thought this would be a really cool one to do for episode fifty. This is a really the whole everything like backstory of this song. How it was written, why it was written, how it was received, how it's received now, how Roland performed it later in his career. All of this stuff is so interesting. So I think the listeners are going to have fun hearing us talk uh, talk about this. Maybe they'll be screaming at us while they've got their headphones in, you know. But, you know, I just want to add, you know, if you do, if you don't, whether you do or don't like the podcast, leave us a review. You know, if it's negative, don't leave a negative review. But if you like the podcast, we'd love to get a review on Apple Pod or uh, Spotify. Leave us a five star. Leave us a comment. Leave us some love. And if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. So how did you receive this song when you first listened? What what was the first ver- uh, version you listened to? The Boys Next Door? Great question. Yeah, so uh, the version I listened to was the one that I found on Spotify, uh, which was the Boys Next Door version. It's got like kind of the creepy artwork with like the sort of grotesque um, Frankenstein kind of imagery. Uh, Yeah, Shivers. It's from the Door Door album. It's got that very like, it's a very like, late 70s, early 80s kind of vibe. Um, and also for the boys next, next door. I saw that record at the record store the other day. Ooh, you're going to the record store. Our boy's fully vaxxed. Ladies and gents, look well, out. Ian is fully vaxxed. I can't COVID. I'm Even in, dimension. Oh, that's right. You got uh, Dovid. Yeah, it's, which it was is, all um, safe for me. I can do whatever the fuck I want. 
Well, but you should get vexed. Everyone, yeah, that's all a very Ian thing to say. Should get vexed. I just don't. It have just to. opened up in California like a week ago. I am uh, working on getting it scheduled. So anyway, yes. Uh, the Boys Next Door version was the first one I heard. I wish I had not heard that one first, but I think I listened to that. I listened to the Courtney Barnett cover. I listened to the Roland S. Howard version that he recorded later. Um, the performance, I saw him perform it. There's like a video from like 2009, which I think is the year he died, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he died. So this show was actually right before he passed away. Um, oh, wait, no. This is from November 1999 on Australian ABC TV show Studio 22 with Clinton Walker as the interviewer. So uh, it's got like almost 400,000 views. Check it out on YouTube. The performance is really great. Um, I think Roland S. Howard is easily one of the coolest, you know, Nick Cave birthday party adjacent figures. And he left the band before the Bad Seeds really did anything. I think he was only really in it for the birthday party and Boys Next Door stuff. And then I think he left, right? Mm -hmm. That's what I had read. Okay. So, yeah, that's the order of, of the versions I've heard of the song. And then I, I listened to the Against Me cover on YouTube that you sent me um, a couple weeks back while we were preparing for the show. So how did it hit you, like, emotionally? Like, what, how did it make you feel? Well, uh, the the obvious tone is it felt very, like, um, slow dance at the 50s. Um, in the 50s, like, high school gymnasium. Um, like, it had that... I love you so much. Like, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, baby. Hello, baby. Like that kind of stuff. And um, I mean, I love this. I love that song. I like that version of the song. Um, But when I learned what the intent of the original song and songwriting was, I think I liked the other versions better. I think the Courtney Barnett version is far superior to the original. And I think that Roland S. Howard performing it is far better than the way Nick Cave performed it. And in the research I did for the song, even Nick Cave has said later on, he said later on in his career that he, his performance changed the way that that song was received because it was meant to be a very like dry, sarcastic, like punch in the face to, you know, that sort of high school mentality of like, you know, your first love's gone. Now you want to kill yourself he was kind of making fun of like what was going to be sort of the themes of punk and post-punk going into the eighties. Yeah. So, uh, if anyone hasn't heard it, Roland Howard was in a band called the young charlatans. And this was before the boys next door. And I don't know what happened. They didn't really take off. And so that version, the first version to be recorded wasn't released first. The, Boys Next Door version was released first. But you can find the demo of the Young Charlatans version on YouTube. And I think that's the best version. It's a little little punkier. Like you said, it's a little more sassy. Roland Howard singing it instead of Nick Cave. I feel like the vibe comes off a lot better. Well, Roland Howard has a fucking beautiful voice. So I... Or at the very least, it's a very unique delivery. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. I did not listen to that version, so I feel like a dummy. I'm going to look it up now. Well, I mean, it's, you know, I don't think, I don't know if it ever got an official release, you know? It's kind of like an obscure thing, and then the the demo eventually popped up, but I don't think it was until at least five years after it was recorded. I agree about his delivery, and I think that's probably why you like the Courtney Barnett version, because they have, like, really similar voices. They both, like, have that little sarcastic thing going on. They have that same inflection, like the sort of yeah. like, huh, like the, huh, yeah, that exactly. kind of thing, like the rock and like, the the rock and roll, like you know, I got a cigarette hanging out of my mouth, and I care, but I, don't I probably care. like a little fucked up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then plus, like the picture uh, of Roland Howard from the YouTube song. I'm I'm looking at it now. I, I played a little clip in my headphones while you were talking. Um, 
I mean, he just looks awesome. Like he's got the, he just looks so of that era. Like he's got the hair parted over one of his eyes and he's got a cigarette and he's wearing like a sweater vest and a white t-shirt and he's playing the, I think it's a Jaguar guitar. It's a great picture, but yeah, I, I, I really like the way that I think how Roland meant for it to be performed. I think I prefer that to how Nick performed it. Um, and you kind of get a little glimpse into the power dynamic of like what, like it kind of makes sense that Nick Cave would start a band with his own name in it because he's clearly very obsessed with like himself. And I think that him just making the decision to like sort of take the mic from Roland at that point was pretty bold and I think set the tone. And also Nick was the front man. So I don't think that there's much to be upset about there. I think it's just, Kind of how it goes in a band. There were a lot of times in Via Animo, and I mean, Android 18, like Which between us theory. as, uh, between the band members in that band, like we had, yeah, I'm sorry, that's one of the bands I was in. Um, I mean, there was one day where Jill was out of town, and we had had some sort of communication error with Josh, and we didn't, and we had to end up, we ended up having to go pick him up and bringing him out, and Mike was, way too cool about it and you know we recorded a big chunk of the vocals without him there and he was really pissed because he did he was not a fan of how it turned out and we were paying money to to lay these vocals down and you know sometimes it's just how it goes like you know we made a call we wanted to get it done um we had that sort of like I would say it was lazy in hindsight, but at that moment, I think I think for Noah and I, it was like, well, let's just fucking go in there and try and scream and see if we can make it sound good. And if people like it, great. Um, Noah was definitely better at that stuff. But anyway, enough about me. That's the, the crazy thing about recording, though, right? Like, you might be recording a song for all you know you're going to be playing for the rest of your life, but the decisions you made on that day are going to be how everyone hears it forever. Because I feel like... Even on YouTube, you can find videos of them playing live, and Nick Cave just plays guitar, and Roland Howard sings it. So I think it quickly became Roland Howard's song. But they, you know, they're yeah. stuck with that version they recorded with Nick Cave singing it. Mm -hmm. Well, all of the another band that uh, we were in, Vianimo, a lot of the Vianimo songs were completely different after we switched up the instrument lineup, because, I mean. Ian would do vocals at some shows and it would just be me and Corey guitar and drums respectively. And then when Chad was, you know, not out of town, we would play, you know, I, I, I first joined, I, I feel like I kind of started with the band, but I quit and then I came back on bass and you played guitar, and then when we switched, the dynamic of our show's live changed, like, did a whole, whole 180, because I started to have to kind of pay more attention to what I was doing and not just play the bass lines. And I got to go more crazy, because it's easy to play bass. Easier. <laughs> yeah. It's the truth. So let's, uh, let's, let's so, keep it moving. What else? Where, where are we going here, Ian? The thing about this song, to me, is that it's like, fun as fun as a song that opens with a line about suicide can be like i i do think at the core this is kind of like a fun song i love that and yeah it is fun it's funny it's supposed to the, be funny but the boys next door version isn't because nick cave isn't really like fun like his voice has so much just like oomph to it like his voice has so much presence yeah that he doesn't do fun is not a vibe that nick cave does well so yeah, I do think the original, the first version to be released, it, it is kind of weird because the song seems way more serious than I think is intended because Nick Cave just comes off as serious. He was probably only 16 when he was singing that and it still sounds so dour and so that's just the, the gift and the curse of his voice. Yeah, um, and considering the music that they would go on to create during and after this song was released. Uh, it's funny that this is such a, this is the way that it is. Like this, Nick didn't really perform songs like this on later birthday party records. And um, I think it's, 
I, I don't know. I think it's kind of a funny song when you know the context of it because I just sort of was walking around the house, like, you know, on a run one one night, and I was, like, listening to the song, and I just started singing out loud, you know, like, it's kind of like seeing, like, an old, like, campy horror movie, and they have, like, some line about, you know, oh, my God, they're eating him. And now they're going to eat me. Oh, my God. Like, you just, you start to, I listen to it a good number of times to get a good feel for it. And you just start to kind of get the impression that, like, there's something else being said with the lyrics here. It's not just, like, sort of an angsty, like, teen performance. And like you said, I mean, they were, like, 16 or 17. I think I looked it up, and around this time, maybe they were 19, but like we mentioned before the chronology with this song is a little dicey like the young charlatans have a have a version of this song somewhere where it's roland but you know so I, it I didn't really that, get released i think until i read that roland wrote the song when he was 16 and okay i think this is the song this is the type of song that is written by someone like under 20 because oh yeah 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 it is like it is funny, and I think poking fun at these kind of songs, but I think there's also some genuine qualities to it at the same time. I think it's both at once. And even that, just like the first line, like, I've been contem- contemplating suicide, but it wouldn't fit my style or whatever. That's I love kinda, that line, man. That's the kind of light line. Such a cool line. You write that when you're 16 because you don't care. Like, I might think of a line like that now, but I would second guess it because I'd be like, that's too dark. Or it sounds too self-serious, or it sounds campy. Yeah. Like the older you get, the more uh, like limitations you set and you second guess. Like this is a song by a kid because it's totally free, and it reminds yeah, um, it reminds me of when we were this age and we were listening to mm-hmm. Law Dispute or Tiger's Jaw, those kind of bands that write those oh, love yeah. songs that are so self-serious and so hyper-emotional. But that's how you feel when you're 16 or 18. Every little thing with a romantic partner or even just a girl or boy you like seems like the end of the world. And it captures how... Well said. It captures how I felt then because you feel that way. But at the same time, you're a outcast punk kid so you're making fun of everyone else in high school feels that way even though you feel it too you know exactly and it captures all that i wish i wish i had heard this song when i was younger because i like it a lot but i think it would have been like one of my favorite songs had i heard it when i was 17 or something and that sort of makes me think like would this song be as huge as it is if Nick hadn't performed it that way like if this had just been dropped by Roland and they hadn't like re-released it under Boys Next Door and Nick know. hadn't have had put his own spin on it I get the vibe that and anyone listening who wants to write in uh, let us know I get the vibe that if you're into like indie music and you're Australian this is like part of the canon this is like a song you know mm-hmm but I don't know if that's true or not. But I, I get the impression that, at least in Australia, this is like a song everyone knows that's into, you know, at least semi-underground music. Whereas, you know, it's definitely not that here. I probably didn't hear the song until I was 25. If a song has more than, like, one person covering it, like, a, like a, we're talking, like, big acts. That's true. That's a good barometer. I There's would say that this covers. song is there, like, you can tell that, there's like, it's it's got a significant enough following. I mean, if an artist of our more contemporary generation like Courtney Barnett, I would say is an artist that will probably grow old with. And and she's Australian. I'm not like a huge Courtney Barnett fan, but I think her she makes really good music. Um, I think that it goes to show that if an artist like that sort of in our age range is. Mm-hmm playing a Roland S. Howard slash Boys Next Door song, that says something about like where music is going 
and how it impacted Courtney and then, you know, other bands on this list. Like I, I see, um, you know, Laura Jane Grace is on there, the Screaming Jets, the Cairo Gang Band and Divine Fits, who I don't know a lot of the other bands on there, but I think um, I'm not a Yeah, I think fan. this is a cool song. I think it's an important song. I'm not a fan of Divine Fits. Like I don't know them, but I think they're a pretty big band as well. Like in the two thousands indie rock world. I definitely remember hearing that name. I, I until I started doing research for this podcast, I didn't know who they were. Ha, have you did you happen to look up the um the cover of the single? The the way that the disc was printed, it's on I guess they printed it on Mushroom Records or the label was on was Mushroom. Really cool little imprint. Um, I don't think so. What's it a picture of? Like they've got like, uh, if you just go to Wikipedia, like type in the song Shivers in Google and find the Wikipedia page, it's just a neat little like print of like mushrooms and like foliage and it's got the mushroom label on the seven inch and then, you know, it says Shivers, you know, recorded by, arranged by and then Boys Next Door. Be pretty cool. I bet that, oh, that like single the, disc the, goes for some pretty good money. The uh, the record label, like the inner it's like a forty five. Yeah, no, I've never heard yeah. of Mushroom Records. Probably an Australian. I don't know. Yeah, it's an Australian label. If they're defunct or not, it looks like yes. They are like associated with Warner Brothers, so Warner yeah, Brothers they're Australian and. Looks like they're still around. I don't know. It's it, it's it, the music label like just being a label in the music industry is pretty fascinating because you know, if you get bought by some other bigger company then it might completely shift like what rights you have and don't have and you know, so on and so forth. It looks like a bigger artist. It, it was like how stuff was distributed in Australia because it looks like Madonna was put out through Mushroom Records and ABBA and Nelly Furtado, uh-huh. a bunch of like just random pop people. Looks like Kelly Minogue, uh, or Ki- wait, Kylie. Did I say that? Kylie Minogue. Yeah, sorry. Uh, tired. Had a long day, listeners. Sorry about that. Um, no one else I really recognize. Yeah, like you said, Madonna, um, Muse. Looks like so a lot me, of the big like. Let me ask you this, Jake. If I always wonder how Roland Howard actually felt about this song how, how would you feel if you wrote a song at 16 and that was the biggest song you ever wrote your whole life and that was what everyone wanted to hear would you be honored that you had even written a single song that lasted or would you be bummed that people still wanted to hear it well he talks about it in that video i mentioned where he's on um that daytime that abc tv show studio 22 in Australia, he talks about it, and I think it's a weird thing because I don't know if he's ever real if he ever really got much notoriety for any other projects that he did. Um, he was always more underground, but and I, I, I I get the vibe that he liked it that way. I don't think he was trying to become a huge star at any point. It, it, so on that tour where that. Um, he mentions a similar quote. He said here with his relationship to the song, I have just tried perhaps finally successfully to divorce myself from the song. It's impossible for me to recreate what I was trying to do when I wrote that song. So whilst I can see that people have an attachment to it, I don't. I feel like when I did used to do it in shows, I was doing a cover of some song that had been around forever, and that's how it felt. And I guess that it is a strange way to feel about a song you wrote, but I'm happy to not have to do it these days. So I think this was around like his solo concert years and then his final touring. So, I mean, it, it, let's be honest. Like, you know, would Radiohead be all that excited if Creep was the only song they really people really knew them for? And they put out a record like, you know, Hail to the Thief or In Rainbows or OK Computer and, you know, they put out all these great records and you're just like, oh, no, I just really like Creep. And there are a lot of people like that out there, but I think Radiohead's known for their other records more so than Creep. If you, you know, dive in, you're like, there's something. Creep's just like, oh, cool, if you've never heard Radiohead before, this is a good song, good, good like, alternative rock song. 
I don't know. I think it's probably, I mean, rest in peace because he died in 2009, but I, I imagine it was a pretty, it probably, it's, he seemed like a person who probably battled depression. I don't know how he died. It, it seemed like he got ill. I think he had um, liver, liver disease or liver cancer, something like that. He died he very like, young. He was only 50. Um, yeah. So, you know, Nick has basically outlived him by what, like 12 years now? Nick's like 61, 60? Something like that. 60s. I don't know. Um, I think it's probably if he were here, it'd be interesting to see what he would say about it in 2021. But um, I think it was probably. I mean, I think that quote said it all. Like, imagine a song you wrote being considered a cover in your own mind. Like, that's a pretty. Yeah, that's really interesting to me. Upsetting thing to hear. I, I I've felt that way about like. You know, when I used to tour more, if a song was two or three years old, any older than that, it would kind of start to feel like that for me. So I can't imagine how it would feel if it was something I wrote when I was 16, when I was still in high school. It'd probably be that feeling times a thousand. But I really like how he put it that way. I uh, mean... Feeling like a cover. Nobody ever wants to be remembered for one thing. I think... You're lucky if you get to be remembered for that, but I think that and I don't think if you're not is. incredibly proud of that one thing, yeah, I, I think it's probably a tough thing. That's why this that's what I was mentioning when we introed the episode is that there's a lot going on with this song that just feels like a very standard, you know, tempo wise, music wise, lyrically. Like this is just sort of a good. I might even just call it kind of like like had this come out in the 50s this would probably just be considered like pop music on the radio but I think because given the track record of that band it's always going to fall cuz cuz Nick Cave and Roland and that whole gang they're always going to be considered like post something they're always going to be considered experimental so they're never going to fall under a, a pop mm-hmm. but this is a pop song it really is I mean the structure, recurring lyrics. I think there's like sort of a verse, chorus, verse, chorus going on. And um, the Boys Next Door video, I think, really hammers that in because it's, it's, it's just Nick mostly. You see Roland and the other guys in the background. Nick's kind of doing his thing. Like it's a cheesy music Feeling video. out what he would be doing. It's a great music video. I, I love it. And then I think the intro is really cool because... It's got that cheesy boys next door font and it's got the like the musical lead in and then the camera kind of I don't even think the camera moves I think Nick moves into the view of the camera and then he starts singing. I I really like it. I I think sometimes if you go less is more it works really well and I think that's what they did here. I feel like it was probably a thing where they were on a record label and the label was like you have to make a music video and they probably just kind of got told what mm-hmm. to do. Mhm. A lot of their videos feel that way. Like it just yeah. feels like let's do the easiest thing possible and we'll just perform. And I, I like that. I, I don't think it always, um, sometimes it doesn't work with certain bands, but I think for them, it's just their whole, like, don't give a fuck attitude just aided them a lot in their earlier career. Cause their music was really interesting. And then they kind of by proxy were just interesting to watch perform, even if they weren't putting as much stock into what they were doing in the performance. Um, more so in the music videos, obviously live, they were a fucking, I'm sure masterclass and like, punk energy yeah that's the thing about this song is i feel like this is the single song roland howard is most known for but none of the things Uh he's known for in general are in this song because when when i think of roland howard i think of his guitar style and how dissonant and weird and inventive it is on the birthday party and his solo work and crime in the city solution all the bands he was in and this song has none of that. So it's like, there's another universe, yeah. not the universe I'm from, but maybe another third universe where Roland Howard could have just wrote songs like this for his whole career. Very true. Very true. I mean, would he, would he have done that? Would that be the reality we live in is, you know, more shivers like music, but I don't I'm think that would have ever been the case. I, I think that he's so good I, I, I think he wouldn't have had as, as, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think he would have had his, his the longevity of his career wouldn't have lasted. And I, and I think he he did join um, 
crime and the city solution? Is that what they're called? Uh, yeah, they're a very good band. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, he collaborated with Lydia Lunch, and I think he even he did some work with uh, Nick Cave on later records and did some backing vocals and stuff. So, you know, he, he probably, like, stayed busy. He was a... Uh, he worked with musicians like he was getting oh, by. No He's, He's in that Wings of Desire movie. Um, but I think it's one of those things. It's like even somebody to me like Will Oldham or Bonnie Prince Billy, like prolific musician. But I think if you don't look for, you know, that music in Louisville, like you would never find it. Like you have to like I had to look for that kind of stuff. You have to go to the right shows, interact with the right person at the right time. And, you know, I think that that's kind of how I view Blixa Bargeld. And um, honestly, everything Nick Cave just feels so hidden in a way. Like, it feels like the effort you put into trying to get into the music is almost paid back double because of how, how high quality it is. And I think Shiver's delivers on that the same way that this the ghosting and skeleton tree and push the sky away and even the mid-era stuff delivers like it'd be cool to see nick and the bad seeds perform this song live like in roland's memory if they haven't already done that i know nick caves played it at his solo shows i don't know if the bad seeds play it as a band i think uh for america like indie music culture I think Bonnie Prince Billy is a great comparison because it's the same thing. Like, dude, he's you kind of have to look. Like, yeah, you kind of have to look for him, but once you do, he's everywhere. And he's he, everywhere. Bonnie Bonnie Prince Billy has influenced all kinds of you know Father John Misty and Wilco and all the like big whatever the fuck that's called alt country stuff. Yeah. And Roland S. Howard's the same way. Like, if you were a noisy punk guitar player, you were probably influenced influenced by him. But you kind of have and to look for him. Let's let's go one step further. Bands like My Bloody Valentine and like Ringo Starr and um, I think that's what they're called. Uh, Ringo Death Star. Ringo Death Star. All of that shoegaze stuff, like even that new uh, Korean record, uh, Perennial. I don't know if that's how to, how you say it. Um, it's going to be on but, the Jubies for me. Yeah, that's a good record. Um, that's, uh, I mean, even that stuff, like, you wouldn't have any of that without this song and this era of music. Like, this is basically some of the tracks from Loveless without all the delay pedals and distortion and reverb and like all the effects they had going on. Like, and this song like is hear, the Jesus like, and Mary chain, right? Like all their songs. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know, the lyrics, like I keep her photograph against my heart for in my life. She's playing a, she plays a starring part, all alcohol and cigarettes. There is a room for cheap. There's no room for cheap regrets. I mean, these lyrics are incredible. They're not bad lyrics. They're not. They're they're like. They're so. It's uh, like I said earlier. It's like with camp. Like, it, yeah, yeah, exactly. They're sweet. They're like like it's like, but like almost sweet. too sweet. It's it's yeah, like yeah. you 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 want to come back for more. And fake sweet. That's a good way to put it because it is making fun of itself. It's very self aware and. You know, like I said, dry, and I think that's what's so fucking like. I love. I was so excited to talk about this song, as much as I was to talk about Halber Mention. Um, some of these side projects we kind of strayed for to celebrate getting to fifty episodes. And I mean, there's so much to appreciate about this pretty small little piece of like Nick Cave history, and you know, sort of more so Roland S. Howard by way of Nick Cave history. Um, this is a this is a really brilliantly cr- created song, and I don't think that there's many artists like. That's the thing is like it's unfortunate that this wasn't a song that I think he was incredibly proud of writing himself. Though I think a part of him was probably seeing royalties and getting money from it. 
Um, at least I hope so. But I mean, I've been contemplating suicide, but it doesn't really suit my style. That's like that's like how people are now. That's like internet culture. That's like that is that that is a an internet. That's a meme. That is a meme you would Morrissey. see right now. That's, like, how is that not a Smith it, It's Morrissey. It's like that that newer band, Cigarettes After Sex. They would have a line like that. I can hear like the the washed out like plate reverb, you know, and their vocals. Like, this is. This is what hundreds of fucking shoegaze bands that never made it wanted to be. Like, this is it is, this a vibe, is lo-fi it's, music for people. Like, yeah, it's great because this is like that could have been a Parquet Chords lyric, a Courtney Barnett lyric, a Ty Seagal lyric. Like, Mac that DeMarco is a vibe right now, yeah, Mac DeMarco. Like that is such a vibe that is it, popular it, right now. It's such the like. And that's I mentioned to Ian before we recorded. There's a show called You're the Worst. It's like a it's an American show, but I think it's like got a lot of British TV show like sensibilities with like plotting and characters. And the whole point of that show is it's about like modern romance and how like people our age, like you know thirty some some things, like mid twenties people, you know that sort of age range, like that really dicey area before you turn thirty and you're just an old fart, like you're still sort of this child, but you have this appreciation for things like life and like you have gratitude for certain things. And there's other things that like, it seems like getting married and like, you know, it's like, you don't say making love, you say fucking, you know, you, you don't say boyfriend and girlfriend, you say we're exclusive. You don't, you know, everything's kind of like up in the air and like, we're all kind of making fun of like falling in love with each other, even though we're all falling in love with each other and doing the same things our parents did. But we don't want to, we associate the past with bad things. So this is what this song I think is making fun of is it's like, you're going to look back on, you know, wanting to kill yourself because of this, you know, man or boy or girl, man or woman, you know, and you're going to look at that time where you were like stressing out about this. And you're like, wow, I wasted a lot of time where I could have been like, working on my book or, you know, writing a song or, you know, eating some delicious food, anything like that, you know, like spending time with people who love you. But it's also like, I kind of want that. Like I do want to experience love. Like it's better to have loved and lost than to only, you know, because you you experience the full spectrum. I think that's what it's making fun of is it's like, isn't this so stupid that we care about this so much, but I love caring about it. It is that, like, I don't know if this is something that is, like, always existed or if it's just, like, Gen X and Millennials forward. But that is true. There's, like, things in my relationship, just, like, little things that I feel like we do as a joke, but then they become, like, the the actual thing. It's not a joke anymore. And I feel like a lot exactly. of people, right, like, like, I like wrestling. I started watching it. Cause I, I was like hate watching it cause I thought it was stupid. And then I actually grew to like it. I then you like love a lot it. of like, yeah, there's like a lot of like, you know, irony turning into the actual thing. Uh, I hadn't made that connection, but this song is it like just exactly continues. that. It's making fun of making fun of being heartbroken and you make fun of it so much because you actually are heartbroken. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, I just remember, I, I, it just feels like being at, this bar doesn't exist in Louisville anymore, but like El Camino or Seidenfaden's at like 4 a.m. when they're kicking everybody out of the bar. And, you know, isn't it so stupid? We're here at 4 a.m. and we're fucked up. And then it's <laughs> but also like, a blast. You, but you're actually having a blast. And also like, you know, there could just be a night where you're kind of, it's just kind of a regular night and you're out at a bar, you're at home and you're kind of contemplating like, you're like, you see something on TV, like two people, like, you know, it's like a rom-com or something and you're like, oh, that looks so stupid. And you're like, no, I kind of want that, you know? Um, I want to feel that. I'd like to know how to feel, even if it's only like fleeting. And I think that's what, that's why this song has been around for so long and it just keeps coming up for, with through other artists like this is an important song for a reason and um i'm glad we talked about it because i think there's a lot to appreciate about what 
Roland contributed to music. And I hope that, he, you know, somewhere he's like rolling around in his grave hearing us talk about this. And maybe he hears that, like, he created a really important piece of art that impacted us. And we're talking about it. And there's probably like thousands of other people who have done the same thing. This song feels like a, this, the, the sort of song that could soundtrack a part of your life. And I don't have that experience with it, but it does make me think of Jake and I used to have an apartment that was kind of like in da- downtown and we would, we had access from the kitchen onto the roof of the building because half of the building was two stories, half was three. And we would sit out there sometimes and like play guitar and just have sing-alongs. And then later you had another apartment where we'd have like fires outside and this feels like the kind of song that would have been perfect. You're just like passing the guitar around and somebody plays a song and everybody sings. It's that kind of song. There was uh, also like every single one of those situations was met with like a very keen sense of like we got very close to like burning our apartment down by like <laughs> grilling on this like probably roof. very flammable like roof of this roof material. 200-year-old building. Yeah, so, you know, some of the best some of the best memories that I'll ever have came from sitting on that back porch with like you know, Olivia Brown and I think Madeline Ford was there and Chad and you know, we're sort of a rotating cast like um it's the crew. A lot of the stuff I'm writing about recently was uh is about like trying to capture the sort of I hate, I hate, I was going to say beautiful chaos, but that's pretty much the only way to describe it is like everything that happened with like you, me, you and me even alone, just in the span of like 2009 to like 2012, like every, all of the roller coasters of that relationship, but even adding in like Irish Sean, Mateo, like, um, Mistress Sarah, Cody Ray, <laughs> like and then ro- your yeah, dad romantic, romantic somehow issues on top of that. Just romantic a, issues, mean, you know, like being eighteen to twenty, eighteen to that's what this song's all like about. Crazy time, yeah, exactly. It's it captures that feeling. Yeah, and I mean, that's a beautiful thing. I guess the only thing I had left to talk about was the Laura Jane Grace cover. Um, oh, what'd yeah. you think about For, that? Yeah. I think that is where I heard the song for those first. who. For those who don't know, Laura Jane Grace is the front woman for Against Me, uh, punk punk band, magnificent talent. Because if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I think that was in like 2013 or 2014. It's been a minute. Uh, so yeah, that would have been where I heard the song first, actually. So I love that cover. I mean, it suits her voice very well. The Adam Willard on the drums is killing it. It's it's a cool it's a really cool cover. I yeah it's so it's for the nervous energies. Yeah, I, I I think you will probably see it live one day. I really want to. Um, and again, uh, sorry to revisit. cut you off, but against me, against me is oh, that same okay. kind of band that like captures that moment of your life. Like against me songs are, I think, written for being like eighteen years old. It's the same vibe. It's a perfect song for them to cover. Even um, transgender dysphoria blues, I feel like captures a very certain time in my life. Like that came out. I think that came right, out around the time it. that I. Twenty fourteen. Yeah, I, I think so because we were working at. Well, I was working at Green Bean with a guy who got me into it, and I feel like. I had, like, this on rotation with, like, Danny Brown, Travis Scott, this, Loma Prieta, Blood Orange, like... Travis Scott's been around that long? I did not know that. Yeah, he he, uh, probably sort of came into music around, like, 2012. I did not know that. I've never really been a big fan. But, yeah, that's all. I don't really have anything else to say about I think it's a good cover. Um, I think the drums are great, but I think they're too loud, and I wish I could hear... Laura and the guitar a little bit more, but uh, yeah, that's I guess a small that gripe. Was like, I, I think that 
I'm guessing that was an issue of recording. Because, yeah, the drums kick in. And I am guessing her guitar was supposed to go distorted, and it didn't. It is, like, really bad audio quality. Or bad mixing. I, I, I think it... The cool thing about being, like, a tried-and-true, like, long-term punk band, like, against me is that it, you have sort of the fallback that you can say something broke or you, you were just like, I didn't give a fuck. We just wanted to play. Technical issues. Technical issues. But, yeah, this this is, was really fun to talk about. Thank you, Roland Howard, for existing. And not only this, guitar, this uh, song, but your whole style of playing guitar and punk music would not be what it is today without him for sure whether or not you are here just hear about roland s howard or you're a nick cave fan and you haven't heard about roland s howard check out his music there's a lot of it on spotify you can find it on youtube very interesting musician and um, I mean, think about how catchy some of those birthday party guitar leads are compared to how yeah. not catchy the birthday party is. Like, the birthday party is, like, anti-being catchy, yet he finds these ways to sneak these little guitar parts in that get stuck in your head. Yeah, and the birthday party is a really cool little amuse-bouche to, like, a band like Einstein D. New Bouton because... There's very little catchy about that band, and even they've managed to find something. Like, both of them have this sort of like ratchety, like rattling quality to their music. And I think when Roland was playing guitar in the birthday party, he was like managing to really rein in a sense of like chaos and like sort of echoey chaos to his guitar playing that added this like earworm effect where you like, you can still kind of hear the guitar parts in the back of your head when you wake up. So, yeah, that's 50 fucking episodes. We've done this for almost a year. 50 episodes. Uh, thanks, everybody uh, who emailed about the, the Neubaden episode. Uh, based on some recommendations, I've listened to Silence is Sexy, the newest one, and the one with the horse penis on it. And <laughs> I liked all... I liked all three of them a lot. I think I actually like the newest one the best. But, man, they're a great Have you band. watched the videos for the newer... Diamond. Have you uh, watched the videos I, for the newer record? I watched one. I think it's the title track. He has the, the eye makeup on. The, the glitter. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the eye makeup is is really, really cool. I, I had one thing. So we usually do ratings on this podcast, and I felt like... 50 might be a good time to evaluate a couple of things that we do. You know, I think every podcast kind of has, like, we're a pretty open format. We don't have, there's not a lot of, like, bells and whistles. Like, we we look up the song. Well, you fire. We do some Blue. research. Yeah. We listen to it. We've, well, yeah, well, I was really hoping that you wouldn't we. bring that up on the podcast. I just say we. We're a team. It was a joint yeah. decision. Uh we're we'll tell you more about why we had to fire blue but basically so if any it was a pause disaster if anyone has a dog out there that might be a good intern send us a picture uh maybe a video of the dog singing a nick cave song because we are looking for a new yeah. dog intern must they must like nick cave blue's favorite song was <sighs> i don't even know why we hired her her song, favorite song was red right hand so um her name's blue right off the bat we should like we should have known. The opposite yeah. color. Anyway, what do you think about this? Is just sort of an audience poll. If you want to write in and tell us what you think, uh, what do you think about rating? Do we want to continue doing ratings for the songs? Do we I'm, like doing I'm that? Done with it. What do you think? I was about. To, I was going to. I was thinking. I I really. I uh, I feel weird doing it. I feel like we just kind of did it because that's what podcasts like this do. But it feels weird given like a number of these songs. I don't think that we're we're not Anthony Fantano. We're not like we're not like we're not critics. Like we're we're criticizing aspects of the work, but really more so we're here to talk about it and analyze it and enjoy it and kind of go more so yeah, be more so like a like a you know a Two step into 
you just step into our world here and live with us for an hour a week and think about your favorite musician and or if you don't if, if you're just getting into Nick Cave, you know, I'm still kind of in that boat. Like I've we've been doing this under a year. We'll be hitting a year probably in June or July of the podcast. So um I don't know. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and say we're not going to be doing reviews anymore. Um, obviously, we can do whatever we want, so we might change. But I will just say that I think that this song is a 10 out of 10 bags of popcorn. That's my last rating. I think it's a wonderful song. And I'd love to eat some popcorn and, you know, maybe dance with my sweetheart or cry with wine. a glass of gin by myself. Sweet berry wine. So yeah, no more ratings. We're yeah. not going to rate things anymore. I think if you if you you'll listen to this once you listen to the podcast enough, you'll start to see how we feel about songs that we don't need to give it the numerical rating. I I think that it's also hard because a lot of Nick's music is really good, and that goes for a lot of the adjacent acts to him. So I would just say yeah, that it's not as like it's not as fun as if we were doing a band like Weezer that has like really bad songs and really good songs. Nick Cave kind of has a yeah yeah level. Uh, we would be like fucking up shit creek without a paddle if we did a Weezer podcast because we'd only really be able to talk about Blue Album and Pinkerton and a couple songs on the Red Album. We'd have to talk about it all. We'd have to punish ourselves and figure out a way to spend 20 minutes talking about a Hurley song. But Could you imagine? We just start on Hurley. That's like the album we have to do every song once a week. With that guy from Lost on the cover. (laughs) Yeah, I love that guy. That's probably the worst. Anyway... I've unfortunately listened to all the Weezer albums. That's probably the worst one, honestly. So, here at the end, uh, as of today, just a few hours ago, we saw that Anita Lane had passed away. I almost said Anita Hill. And uh, so I think (laughs) we're going to do Stranger Than Kindness next week. Uh, I think that's probably the most notable Bad Seed song she wrote or had a hand in writing. And... Maybe we'll do uh, something from a one over solo albums or something too, but just like Roland S. Howard, another fucking badass, and she was definitely in with that Kid Congo Powers. That era of Bad Seeds, it was just like a lot of weirdo punks that all went on to do really cool stuff when they left the Bad Seeds, and she had a cool career, and will definitely be missed. R.I.P. Anita Lane, condolences to her family and to Nick and anyone who loved her or appreciated what she did. Um, Ian, do you uh, do we want to wrap it up? Wrap it up. We will be back next week. And what comes after 50? 51.